0: And these six statements are going to underpin what we're going to talk about tonight and how we're going to think about moving away and moving into brokenness and how do we have a healthier family, okay? So the first statement is this. Lord, you know we are dust, and yet you're so merciful and gracious to us. I heard this prayed the other night at our corporate prayer night and it was the most holy moment when the the young lady who prayed it, prayed it. Because see, I believe that when it comes to brokenness in our families, for whatever reason, we can carry a lot of guilt about that and, and wish that it were better or think that God must be out and against me because I'm just not working it and knocking it out of the park when it comes to my family. And it was a good reminder that the Lord knows who we are and He's gracious and merciful to us. Statement number two. It is not your job to change anyone. Okay, on three, we are all going to say that together. One, two, three. It is not your job to change anyone. And so some of you sitting in the room tonight need to give up that job because that's the Holy Spirit's job, okay? And some of us are sitting here tonight, and we've tried for years to change whoever it is that we wanted to change, and it's just not going to happen, and we can't do it, okay? And so we need to understand that going in here tonight when it comes to family relationships. Number three, you can respond in faith to God's promises and truth and work in your life. This is what I have seen happen when it comes to areas of brokenness in our life. There are many things about God and His promises that we believe, but there just seems to be areas, and family relationships can be one of those areas we're just not sure God is at work or God can do anything different about that situation. And yet tonight, I want to reaffirm to you, and maybe for some of us, get affirmed in our heads for maybe the very first time, you can respond in faith to God's promises and truth and work in your life in regards to grief and broken family relationships. You can respond to that. Okay? Okay? Number four. And I want to give a preface statement on this one. I am not going to tell you this to discourage you. But I think it's important just to know. Especially in relationship to, you know, when Paul prayed for the Philippians that their love would grow, he wanted their love to grow in knowledge and in discernment. And this is why I'm telling you number four. People can change but they tend to be painfully consistent again I'm not trying to discourage you with that but I want you to just know what is true okay if God has done anything in my life over the years he has made me an optimistic realist okay and people can change that's why we believe in God that's why we believe in the gospel we believe that Jesus can change people And yet, we see that people tend to remain painfully consistent. And here's the other part of the statement. Generally, it is easier for people to keep doing what they do instead of doing the hard work of dealing with issues and making relationships better. And that just even saying it out loud sounds a little weird because you would think we would all want to have better relationships. But you know what? I've lived long enough to know that it seems that there are going to be some people in our circles who don't want it to be better. Number five, being sad doesn't mean you need to be more spiritual. And you could remove sad and fill in the blank with another word. Maybe the word is bitter. Maybe the word is angry. Because again, see, because you're sitting here, I just gonna, I'm going to make an assumption, and I know that's dangerous, but I think that probably when it comes to God and His Word and His promises and your relationships, you believe and want them to be better. And it can just be a situation where you think to yourself, well, if I was just more whatever, I wouldn't be so sad, or I wouldn't be so angry, or my, or my family wouldn't be broken. And, and believe that the problem is you. You're the problem. I'm going to tell you all something. This is, I, I landscape, and there are people in the world who are angry. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, and they're angry about their grass, and they'll come out, and they'll get really mad at some of the guys that work for us, and they're talking, and they're just they get back to the truck, and they're just stunned that this person has talked to them in this way. And I consistently say to those guys this listen, that lady was mad long before she knew you. It doesn't have anything to do with you, I promise. Now, it still hurts, right? But nonetheless, so I'm just telling you that if you feel sad, listen, I'm a psalm reader. Sadness is real. And I go back to, you know, tonight, you might just have to keep going back to statement number one tonight. You just might have to keep going back to that one. God knows your dust, but he's gracious and merciful to you. Okay? All right. Number six. Here's the last one. It may be time to talk to someone. It may be time to talk to someone. And here's what I mean by that. We are a church that values being connected. That's one of our... Values and we have small groups where we can know other people and they can know us, and yet, I'm going to tell you something, the temptation, even in small groups, is to talk around the issues. Get real close, but don't really say what's really going on. Don't really confess what is really happening in your life. Okay? And so, it might be time... For you just to set up a coffee time with someone in your small group, or ask a pastor, or maybe there are some issues that you have gone through in your life that are particularly tragic and hurtful, and it's okay to talk to a counselor about that. So I wanted to start off tonight by kind of setting the stage with these six statements, because I believe... They're they're very important to the foundation of what we're going to talk about tonight. So I want to start off tonight by talking about how do you create a crazy hamster wheel, okay? So well over 20 years ago, Kathy and I, around 20 years ago, Kathy and I read a book together called Love and Respect by a man named Emerson Egerich. And in that book, he talked about hamster wheels. Okay, and this is how it works, and I'm going to talk about it to start off in the context of marriage, all right? So, the book is, in essence, based on this one verse, Ephesians 5.33. To sum up, each one of you husbands is to love his wife, and the wife is to respect her husband. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands, all right? So, that is what Paul says that a husband is supposed to do. He is supposed to love his wife. He's just explained in the verses ahead of that what it looks like to love his wife like Christ loves the church. And then he says to wives to respect their husbands. Now, the way that Emerson Egerich talks about this in his book it was amazing. It was a real blah, wow. That's a big thing, okay? Now, we've all heard the idea of unconditional love, right? And that's why we want to be loved. But what he says in the book, because he talks about how Scripture talks about it, for a man, a man wants to be respected, okay? And what he said was, is that, Men should be, by their wife, unconditionally respected. And I remember when I read that, that sounded weird. Because, why? We tend to think respect is earned. Okay? And yet, he talked about that was the command for wives to respect their husbands. But then something happens. As prone to happen in marriage occasionally, things don't go very well. Because one day, and I can remember this being somewhat similar in my own marriage, you're newly married and you're so happy about it, and you come home from work one day, and your wife has spent extra time cleaning the house and preparing a meal that's going to be wonderful after your day of work, and your attitude about it as the husband is, uh, uh, because you've already used all your words at work that day, so you don't really have anything left, you know, to give her. And, you know, and it just becomes an absolute, you know, disaster. And so what you've done to your wife, instead of being thankful and grateful for what she has done, you have given her, you've been unloving. Okay? You didn't notice that the house was clean, you didn't really say anything about the meal. And ladies, I don't mean this to, you know, as an excuse, but sometimes guys just aren't very smart, okay? And we just don't do that. But you as the wife, you hear that and you feel unloved. I went to all this trouble for you as my husband. And it was, oh well. One my, and ladies, this is just an aside and this is free. One of the most dangerous things you can ask your husband is, do you notice something? <laughs> I just always say, man, your hair looks great. <laughs> your hair looks great. <laughs> so, what happens though is the wife now has a decision to make. She feels unloved for everything she does, and so she says, Well, you never appreciate anything I do around here. And so, what she does is she gives a dis, she disrespects her husband, telling him he never does anything. <laughs> And then the wheel starts spinning. Because when a man feels disrespected, he's going to tend to act in a way that's unloving. And so he says something unloving to her. And let me say something to you. This can be very loud, or this can even be very passive. In fact, the passive spinning of the wheel can be more dangerous because it can go on a lot longer. Okay? The wife might feel unloved, but her disrespect is to kind of withhold things from her husband, not really argue or fuzz. She just withholds things from him. And the wheel starts spinning and spinning. And it's like if you've ever seen a hamster on the wheel, it's a lot of heat, it's a lot of energy, and it's a lot of motion, but no one is, there's no progress. No one's getting anywhere. Okay? And so husband keeps doing unloving and saying unloving things. Wife says disrespectful things and acting in a disrespectful way. And then in a relatively short amount of time, a couple that has set off to have this wonderful life together seem to be building a life toward divorce and being broken and spending it goes. And what's interesting, once I got this picture in my mind, it was easy for me to begin to see how this can impact other relationships. You'll turn your page. This can happen in your families. So consider what Colossians 3, 20 and 21 says. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate the children so they won't become discouraged. Isn't that interesting? That Paul would have to give a warning to dads not to discourage their kids. And so we know that what dads are called to do with their kids, we might say this. To help and to care for their children. All right? And we know the scriptures say that kids are called to honor... And they're also called to obey their parents. Okay, And so one day, dad has left a note or he's told the kids, hey, I need you to get these things done before I get home today. And they come home. And what happens? The kid has acted in a dishonoring way or a disobedient way. And they just totally ignored what dad had asked them to do. And instead of, you know, again, you come home, you've used all your words, you're tired, and suddenly you see that what you ask the kid to do is not done, and then you say things to your kid that's unhelpful. Now listen, I understand that kids aren't always wise enough to know what's helpful and not. I understand that. But so much of this is the way you perceive it and the way you feel it. Because the truth is, sometimes your husband says things to you that he didn't mean unloving, it just feels that way. And husbands, sometimes your wives say things to you, they didn't mean it disrespectfully, but that's how it felt to you. And this can happen with our kids. And this can happen in the most unbelievable moments. It was interesting as my dad got older and I got older. I can remember telling stories about things that had hurt me that my dad had done, and he would have no memory of it whatsoever. He wouldn't even remember that it had happened. And then he would say things I had done when I was a kid, and again, I have no memory. But nonetheless, the crazy hamster wheel gets turning in our lives with our relationships because they get broken because we've not been loved, we've not been respected. We've not been honored. We've not been cared for. And it's almost like, if you can imagine this, which is almost crazy, but it's like you've got a potential hamster wheel with everybody you know in your family. And at any one given time, you could have some hamster wheels just spinning out of control because of that aunt that hurt your feelings at the family gathering or the uncle who did something that was inappropriate towards you. And spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning, it goes. So we're left with the question, how do you believe that we stop the crazy hamster wheel from spinning? I want you to take a minute at your table right now. How can you get the hamster wheel to stop spinning? How do you think you can get the hamster wheel to, top, to stop spin. Let's take about three minutes to come up with some ways to think about that for just a moment. Okay, you've just heard from your table. Who heard a really good way to get off the wheel? Did anybody hear something that was really good? Walker, somebody at your table. Walker's table. Did you hear something that was good? You thought, man, that was good. Get off the, how do you get off the wheel? Don't respond in kind. Don't respond in kind. Okay? Somebody's angry at you, don't respond in kind. That's good. That's really good. All right. Susan, right over here at y'all's table, tell me something good that came out of y'all's discussion. How to get off the wheel. One of you. Just anybody can shout it out. Lots of repentance and mutual repentance. No. Wow. Back there at Brandon's table, did you hear a good idea of how to get off the wheel?
1: <laughs>
0: Share one with us. Yeah.
1: Brandon, Brandon, brought up a good, uh, a good point of the ball where you just kind of suffer the loss, you know, mm. you accept the loss.
0: Yeah. Hey, just so you will know how this works, okay? If you're sitting at the table, you don't have to have the the greatest remark. It's okay to steal what you heard somebody else say and then say it out loud. I'm all for that, okay? I love that. All right. That's what you want to do. Um,
1: Hey, somebody at our table just said, you know, it would be helpful to actually recognize that this is happening in
0: some of your relationships? Hey, I have a crazy hamster wheel with somebody. Did you hear that? (laughs) Just to know you've got a crazy hamster wheel with somebody, and that's why the relationship is the way it is? I remember when I was reading that book, this is how it went. This is how you stop the crazy hamster wheel. Number one, you have to decide to get off. Now you have to decide that this spinning out of control is not going to help us get anywhere. And this is how it would work. It would mean that if I said or did something unloving to Kathy, and I'm going to say it just like that because we had to learn to practice this. Okay? It would have to sound like this. Hey, Kathy, I'm sorry that I did not do those things that you asked me to get done. I didn't plan to remember it, and I just didn't do it. And I am sorry that I didn't do that. Will you please forgive me? And you know what? I remember how hard that felt. And I will even confess to you in the beginning, it felt a little wooden. But I can remember Kathy saying to me, you know, I'm sorry I said that to you. I know that was disrespectful. And I want to ask you to forgive me. Will you please forgive me? And what we learned in those situations is when you say that you forgive someone, what you're you're saying is you're canceling the debt. I'm not going to hold that over you anymore. Okay? And I'm going to tell you, I've had to learn to do this with my kids. There's been times I've responded in anger and I was unhelpful and I was not caring and have to go to a kid and say, you know, I am sorry, Dad didn't handle that the right way. I was angry when I responded, and I need to ask you to forgive me. Will you please forgive me? And practice that with my kids. Okay? And then I've had to learn to practice that with my mom, and practice that with my dad, and practice that with the extended family. And what makes it hard is because you can learn it, and I'm going to tell you all these years later, I think that book probably has served me and Kathy more than anything, because I'm going to tell you what, I ain't getting, I ain't getting on the hamster wheel with Kathy. I'm just not. And we have learned how not to, and we handle it pretty quick nowadays, and that's by God's grace. That's by God's grace, okay? And... I still have trouble sometimes handling it with my kids because I, I think, I, I can tend to think I'm just right. I'm your, I'm your dad, dadgummit. <laughs> you know? But it reminds me of a story of a chaplain, friend, a, a friend of mine whose dad was a chaplain in the Army, and he would always go see the new captain when he'd come on to the base, and he would always say to the young captain, he would say, now listen, if you have to tell the man you're the captain, you're not the captain. Okay? And that's always served me well. Okay. But really what it's about is learning that the potential of being bitter, the potential of having the brokenness is there. And we've got to figure out a way to stop it. And generally it's by confessing my sin, confessing I was wrong, and asking for forgiveness. And some of you have done this with your kids. It's really, it's, it's all, it's serious, but it's funny because they're four years old. And I'm I, sorry, Daddy. I'm sorry, Daddy. Will you forgive me? But this is what we have to learn to confess, to repent, and ask for forgiveness. And then you throw in the midst of this what I call our Hallmark Dreams about Family. The Hallmark Dream. It's, man, it's Hallmark Channel Christmas Movie Month. Isn't it? Well, I guess it probably started in October, but nonetheless. <laughs> and we can get dreams because we see that stuff and we we can we I'm just going to say this we can really injure ourselves wishing for something like that because it's not reality and i put down some things that we can really struggle with that creates this tension between the dreams that we have versus our reality in our family let me say this real clear if you are going to deal with brokenness in your family If you're going to get over grief in your life, I believe that you have to fully admit what is true and real currently. Because the temptation is too great to live in denial about it. And then we we have all these other tensions that we can we can feel. We can have these dreams of what used to be and what never was. I have to give credit to Teddy Nagelvoort because he said, our families have power to hurt us. Our families have power to hurt us. And then there's the comparison game. You know, you can grow up just knowing what your family is and then you go to college and suddenly you realize, (coughs) wow, there's people who do it differently. They seem to like each other. And I I had that experience. Man, I had a roommate whose family, it was a joy to go to his house. I mean, it was like being in a Hallmark movie when you went to his house. But they loved each other, and then you start thinking, what's wrong with my family? And then you can get angry and bitter. There's misunderstanding. There's unforgiveness that goes on. But that last one I put is the one I want you to really circle and remember because I believe it's the biggest relationship killer of them all. And that's unspoken expectations. Unspoken expectations of reality. We expect this person in our life to do something, but we have never communicated that to them. My mother believes that our family is made up of mind readers. And I've heard her say more times than not, Well, they should just know. (laughs) They should just know. Well, how how are they going to know? I promise you, I am not a mind reader. Not even close. And so, it's tough when we have these dreams of the way we wish things happen, and the way they really are. And we have to admit, they really are that way. My family is broken, and here's why. When I was 12 years old, I had the greatest Christmas ever. Every one of my buddies had a moped, and I begged my dad for days to get a moped. And I woke up on Christmas morning, and I got a motorcycle. And within six months, all the buddies had traded in the mopeds, and everybody else got a motorcycle. It was the greatest day of my life up until then. On Easter weekend after that Christmas, my mother left my father. And waking up on Christmas morning when I was 13 was totally different. It was the saddest day of my life. And I kind of live with this belief that we have these things that happen to us in our family, and those things can define what we believe about ourselves. I believe that if your mama doesn't stay, something must really be wrong with you. I also believe that given time and opportunity, a woman would kick you in the stomach. And number three, the other belief I had, which this is crazy, I remember thinking, man, when I get married, I'm not ever getting divorced. But how is that going to happen? Because I believe that women would kick you in the stomach if they were given time and opportunity. And so often things that happen to us when we're young, we don't have the mental capacity or the experience or the wisdom to even make sense of any of it. And we can begin to think things are normal because that's just what it is. It's our normal. It is our reality. And then through that process, we can begin to feel embarrassed. I was embarrassed. We lived. Me, I had a younger sister, four years younger than me, and we lived with my dad. I had buddies that had divorced parents, but they all lived with their mom. And I can remember feeling embarrassed about that. I didn't even want to say it out loud. I didn't want to say, "Yeah, I live with my dad." I didn't even want to say it. It just felt. I didn't understand why. It just felt embarrassing. And that's what can happen. We finally get to a point in our life where we start evaluating what has happened to us. And especially you throw in the good news of you've become a Christian, which I did. I went to North Greenville at 19 years old. I became a Christian. And all of a sudden, I start thinking about things very differently and having to do business with my reality. So I want to start by taking a journey And helping us to think about some practical ways that we have to think about our lives in light of brokenness. We're on page 2. If you look at the bottom of the page, page 2. And I want to talk a little bit about building a firm foundation for our life. And I have put there what has become what a... It is a precious psalm to me. It is Psalm 112. And it has absolutely helped me rebuild my life over the last seven years. Because what I've had to come to terms with as a young man and as an older man, sometimes what you have to declare and trust God for in your life is who you're going to be even in spite of where the brokenness is. And the broken relationships with family members you have. Because it's just way too easy to get stuck in the mire of hurt (coughs) and become the victim of your circumstances. And again, I'm not denying that what happened to you happened, but I don't believe it's worth living a life of misery over. And so Psalm 112 paints this picture. And remember, one of our statements tonight is we can trust that God is at work and we can believe His truth and we can believe His promises for us. Hallelujah. Happy is the person who fears the Lord, taking great delight in His commands. His descendants will be powerful in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. There is a benefit to living an upright life, a good life, a life based on God's word. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. See, what a psalmist understood was someone who read this was they had been chosen by God to be his people, and he was going to be their God. And we understand because of Christ and his righteousness, we are made is. And it endures forever. Light shines in the darkness for the upright, light shines in the darkness. For the upright. Listen, listen, listen. Tonight, it may be hard for you to know this or believe this, but I believe this is an absolute promise for God that God, in His kindness and goodness, knowing that we are dust and in His grace and mercy toward us, when we completely have lost hope and don't understand or think it can be any different, There are just days where God just shines His light and makes it so clear how we're going to move forward. And there's part of that I just can't even explain to you because that's God's work. That's how He just chooses to do things. He Josephs things, like Matt said in his sermon two weeks ago. You can be surrounded by people who are just one person who means it for evil and God means it for good. Hey, let me tell you something I've learned. It is so easy to tell other people that. (laughs) Well, bless your heart. You know, God's just going to work this out for good. (laughs) I promise y'all, on the last day of October, 2015, when my oldest daughter told me she was pregnant, it was like I could hear myself giving advice to everybody I'd ever given advice to. And literally... (laughs) Man, God's just worked it out for good, though. You know how I know? Because I was standing on the side of the streets in TR yesterday with a care bear in my pocket watching the TR Christmas parade (laughs) with one of the most precious little girls you ever know. I mean, just God works things out. And I feel like a lot of times that was in spite of me. But I I will say this and confess this to you. I spent a lot of time during those years just begging God, God, I can't make it if you don't do something here. Because that's the issue, isn't it? We want to be capable. We like to be thought well of. And that guy's got it together. You know, it's a good thing God calls us to go into our closet and pray because we can scream and yell in there. Maybe people won't hear. (laughs) But light shines in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. Listen, in spite of brokenness, you can be a gracious person because you've been given grace through Jesus. You can be a compassionate person. You can be righteous. Good will come to the one who lends generously and conducts his business fairly. Even though you've been hurt by a dad who was a a no-good, rotten scoundrel, it doesn't mean that you can't be, by God's grace, be honest and a man or a woman of integrity. Listen to this. This verse is what scared me. And I've told this story before. See, because the day after I found out Emma was pregnant, Matt texted me Psalm 112, verse 1 and verse 7. And verse 7 says he will not fear bad news and his heart is confident, trusting in the Lord. I got kicked in the stomach by Emma on the last day of October and got kicked in the stomach by Matt on the first day of November with those verses. But gosh, man, I'm so thankful for it to this day because it saved my life. It saved my life. I didn't know how I was going to be a dad anymore. I I I just felt like a huge failure. See, the Psalms never deny that things are going to be hard. The psalms don't deny that things are going to be difficult and relationships are going to be broken because what happens in verse 8? His heart is assured. Who is the he the his? It's the his who is happy in the Lord, who fears him and takes great delight in his commands. Look at verse 8. His heart is assured. He will not fear. Let me pause there. That gave me plenty of time to pray that God would help me not be afraid anymore. In the end, He will look in triumph on His foes. The Scriptures do not deny the fact that you you might have enemies. And let me tell you this, and again, you might have to be really honest about it. Right now, you might have some family members that are your enemies. It's easy thinking about our enemy being out there. It's a whole different thing to think about. Our enemy might be sleeping in the bedroom down the hall. Or they might be bringing the egg salad at the family reunion. We have to do business with the reality that there is brokenness that happens and sometimes even our own family might be our enemies. Again, I don't say that to discourage you because the psalm is talking us, talking us through how to make it through and how to live anyway. He distributes freely to the poor. He shares what he has. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. The wicked one will see it and be angry. He will gnash his teeth in despair. The desire of the wicked leads to ruin. So we start off with a sandwich. The two pieces of bread in this psalm are this. Be happy in the Lord or be led to ruin? Which do you want? Which one do you want? So here's the question. I put two questions there, but we only have time to answer one question at our table. What unique challenges do you believe make it Ah, ah, difficult... Let me try again. (laughs) What unique challenges do you believe difficult family relationships or loss present to us in cultivating a Psalm 112, one life. So I want you to think for a second. I've got broken relationships. I've got this grief from loss that I'm experiencing. Yet, here's what Psalm 112 says. What are the challenges there? Take a few moments to share at your table. What challenges are created so as I handed it over to you guys to discuss, I could feel the temperature in the room. It feels a little more weighty. Okay? And at this point, I want to say something. Okay? I believe that you need to run from pretending as fast as you can. Because it is easy for us, when we have to come in contact with The broken relationship to put on a face, to put on, okay, I'm going to be insulted by my aunt at the, and I'm just going to put it on and I'm going to just deal, well, I'm just going to pretend I'm okay. Okay? I do not believe that scripture calls you to pretend that it's okay to be treated that way and it's okay for you to treat anybody that way. Okay? Now, on the next page, On page 3, it is titled, Recognizing the Realities of Having God as Our Father. What I want to encourage you to do is perhaps get together alone or with a friend or two and do some reading of these Scriptures and start thinking about the implications of them for your life. Because it's like my friend Tom Klein says, When God declares something true, it is absolutely true whether you believe it or not. And sometimes the journey of coming in and living the reality is completely confessing to God that you just don't believe it yet. Now you can read Psalm 112 verse 1 just like I had to in November of 2015 and I promise you that month I spent a lot of time confessing to God and saying, I don't feel very happy about anything. And God, I need you to do a work in my heart. I promise you all, that year and into the next year, Psalm 112 was about all I read that year because I just kept praying it every day. I wanted it to be true. I wanted to live it. I wanted to know it. Okay? Remember that statement we made earlier about it's not your job to change anybody? There's two of these things I do want to point out to you that I think is very important. And that is that number four, as 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 say, that we've been made a new creation. And that is a process. I have no false belief that all of us are going to walk out the door tonight and perfectly know how to handle all the broken relationships. Now... But I'm not beyond believing that God can bring a, a lot of healing tonight. Okay? And so it may begin with us just, Lord, I want to I know these things are true. I want to live in these realities. But there are two that I want to point out that I think are also important. Number three, reconciled people practice reconciliation. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 that we don't, because we are in Christ, We don't look at people from a worldly view. We learn to look at them through the view of Scripture. We learn to judge things by the way God judges things. And I don't believe that any person is beyond God changing. Let me be very clear to say that. I do not believe that any person is beyond God's grace and redeeming work. But I also believe so much of that I have to leave in the hands of God. Because we always want it done yesterday, right? But sometimes for things to get Joseph, it might take a few decades. But the thing that because we've been reconciled to God through Jesus is we are always, as His sons and daughters, open to reconciliation. Because that's the ministry we've been given. And when I said that, there might have been somebody who came into your mind and you thought yourself, not him. Not her. Again, part of this process may begin of just confessing what is true to God. God, I've been unwilling to even consider forgiving or reconciling with her I don't want no part of that with Him. And yet, that's what we've been given. And I want to bring up number five here because we have been given a spiritual family. Listen, there are places in the world tonight that if you follow Jesus, you don't have an earthly family anymore. And I think what can make this potentially very hard for us because here in America, we still just put a lot of weight on our earthly family, our biological family relationships. Listen, if you've ever said to yourself, man, why can't my family be like my small group? That is never a bad thing to say. That's just God's grace to you that He's given you some relationships you can celebrate and enjoy. And I will just say this it might be that we might need to think through a little bit more how we include each other.
1: I'll
0: just let that hang on you. Okay? Well, let's move on. I need to get to some things tonight because I believe we need some real practical information because I don't want you to leave tonight just what, what do I know, but what do I do? What do I do about that? I think we do need to understand... That there are different types of family relationships. And I would say healthy. Let me just be real clear here. If you're going in search of a healthy example of a family in the Scriptures, there's a lot more examples of what not to do. I love the Old Testament, but I just don't think you should parent like David. Okay? There's just a lot of example of what not to do. And it always reminds me of what my old boss Russell used to say. You know, no life is a waste. Some people show us what not to do, okay? And so, we need to understand that a healthy family is not perfect. A healthy family is just one that takes seriously to honor the Lord and by faith try to practice what He says in His Word. Listen, Team Bradford ain't close to perfect, but you know what? At the end of the day, we try to love each other. We try to say we're sorry when we screw up. And I still feel like a few of my kids are going to end up in counseling because me and Kathy were their parents, okay? I mean, who knows, all right? But we're just trying to be faithful here. And I'm going to tell you, if you come up to the sidewall pizza and TR the other night, it was a, it was a ruckus. And it was Team Bradford having a good time with each other. And I'm so thankful for that. But I promise y'all, seven years ago, I didn't know that that would ever happen again. I just didn't know. I just didn't know. And I got in the car, and I just praised God for it. So healthy families aren't perfect. They're just real. They're just honest. And they just try to faithfully obey what God says. There are difficult families. I wish I could give you every example of what a difficult family, a difficult aunt, a difficult sister, a difficult mom is, but I probably don't need to because you know what it is. You know what the difficulty is that you face. It's, it's what the answer is to why, when you ask the question, why does my mom say that kind of stuff? And what I will say about difficult family members is that these are relationships that I think you can keep relationships with these people, but just understand it's going to be hard. There are just some people that are hard to deal with. Okay? We're all different. And here's the thing. We all tend to think we're not. (coughs) If everybody just did what we thought, that would be the reasonable thing to do, right? And it's like one of my favorite George (coughs) W. Bush quotes. He said that we always tend to judge others by their worst examples, and judge ourselves by our best intentions. Oh yeah, he did it again. I knew he was going to do it again. And that's the way we judge people. But we're always so well intended. It's when we forget that we're sinners, that we're not going to be able to have reconciliation with others. And... We need to be honest about the difficulty and how we can handle it. And it might be that we, (laughs) over a page, sometimes we just don't need to engage if if not necessary. Proverbs 19.11 says, it is to our glory that that we overlook an offense. Listen, listen. Remember the phrase at the beginning, it's not your job to change people. And you don't have to, you don't have to correct your, your uncle's politics. It's probably better just to... I tell my kids all the time, just smile and nod and eat your turkey. Okay? Yeah. Everything doesn't demand. But listen, loving people and caring for people, though, does not mean that you give them a free pass on doing bad things. If your mother-in-law is criticizing your children to the point where they're in tears, she needs to know that. Because what can happen to difficult relationships if we don't deal with them in healthy ways, which really, Matthew 18 is the healthy biblical way to handle relationships that are not reconciled. Jesus said if If someone offends you, if your brother sins against you, go to them privately. Go to them privately. Aunt Jane, can we go in the piano room and can we talk for a few minutes? And let them know what they've done. You need to speak up. Your criticisms really hurt my kids. And you don't need to, you know... You you ever heard that thing about how you should say something good and then... I heard somebody say, "Really, that's just a crap sandwich." And so <laughs> skip that and just tell them what the problem is. Don't try to sugarcoat it, because listen, a lot of you here, because you care about these things, it feels hard to do this, because maybe we've never done it. And the truth is, especially if our family member is not a Christian I think the principle of, of Matthew 18 is good. It's what Christians should practice between one another. And I think the principle can be applied to a non-Christian family member, but just expect that they're not playing by the same rules as you are. But I still believe we need to practice it. If there's been an offense, we speak up. We say, this is what the problem is. And could I even say to you that maybe the best thing to do is to look for a neutral time to talk about it. It's hard to do that. If your family has a tradition of singing carols after the hand, it might be hard to find a few minutes to talk about that. But a phone call in October might be better. Or maybe even a trip. I don't know. But a neutral setting where there's not an audience is probably going to be a better place for you to have those conversations. Because listen, it's not okay for your aunt to hurt your kids. It's just not. It's not okay for your uncle to insult your husband. There are offenses that can be overlooked and there are difficulties that just need to be addressed. What if I've got a family member that's just living in a sinful and immoral way and they claim to be a Christian or maybe not? Listen, I think you need to tell your family member what you believe and why. But you don't have to suddenly become the prophet Isaiah standing on the chair around the dining room table, okay? (laughs) And that's been a real situation for us on more than one occasion. Okay? Don't let them assume what you think. Just be honest with them, okay? And one of the reasons we tend not to do this stuff is because we're just afraid. We're just afraid what's going to happen. Which really brings us to the next stage of the kind of relationships we can have, and those are just dangerous relationships. And what I mean by that is these are people that you don't need to be around. Okay? Okay? You may have a family member, a broken relationship where this person has done something illegal. They've broken the law in doing something to you or somebody in your immediate family or even your extended family. They have proven by their actions that they are not safe to be around. Let me say to you, for several years, I spent Christmas with my wife and my children and my dad and my stepmother at the Chick-fil-A in Greer because my stepmother's grandson was dangerous and I couldn't take, him, take my kids into their home with him there. That was one of the most uncomfortable conversations I'd ever had with my father. But it just went like this, Dad, if... I understand why y'all have him in the house, but here's what he's done, and I just can't let my kids be around him. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to have Christmas, this is what we're going to have to do so I can keep my family safe. And then, even during the last few years of my dad's life, we couldn't go to his house because my stepbrother is an angry alcoholic. And I had to tell my dad, we cannot come over because He is here. Because He's drunk all the time. He, he's not safe. He is not safe. And again, these it's not like I'm having a good time or feeling real self-righteous about any of this. But listen, sometimes you've got some family members where the consequences are just too dire for you to ignore this. And you need to address what the problem is and, and clearly define what you're going to do. Don't let the situation or that person or some kind of guilt or some kind of helping parent that wants you to just kind of sweep it under the rug and pretend like it's not a problem and look at you and say, well, I thought you were a Christian, right? Don't let all that stuff keep you from staying away and protecting your family. It may be that we have a family member that is prone to just these outbursts of anger almost to the point of flipping the table over and definitely flipping everybody's emotions over and everything gets destroyed because this person is there. Remember, and I don't say this lightly, the Scriptures do not deny the fact that we may have some enemies. And it just makes it harder when our enemies might be the person we grew up with, the person we used to go fishing with when we were kids. And it may feel harsh to do that. I didn't enjoy having Christmas at Chick-fil-A with my dad and my stepmother. I lived in South Georgia. I saw them a couple of times a year. And we're doing it over chicken nuggets. Not ideal. I'm just going to say this. The fruit of the person's life we had to protect our kids from completely revealed itself and justified our decision. I wish it would have ended differently, but it didn't. Why? Because some people are painfully consistent. So we have healthy families, and that's what we want. And we've got difficult relationships. and we can probably keep relationship with them, and we can find ways to reconcile at a neutral site. We can have those conversations with them, try to reconcile through the Matthew 18 way. But sometimes we just have to do what Mark 11 says, that if you're praying and they're remembered, you have something against somebody. Forgive them, and then keep on praying. Sometimes you're going to have to offer some forgiveness to people who will never come to you and say they were sorry and ask for your forgiveness. And again, I don't think that's a light switch. I think it's a very honest posture toward the Lord and asking Him to heal something. And then there's those dangerous relationships where we have to set up those boundaries where we're just not going to be able to be with them. And I know it's so hard to say to mom, mom, if he's going to be there, we're just not going to be able to come. And I'm sorry. But I'm going to say it again. Don't you get guilted and put your family at risk. Just don't. And I think you just need to walk in God's grace with that. I want to talk about one last thing as we get ready ready to finish tonight. And I think it's one of the hardest ones, but I do think it's important to point out and to think about. (coughs) My good friend Hugh has always talked about the tendency we have to live in the ditches. Hugh, every time a situation comes up, I can see you talking about it in such a helpful way. And I'm always asking myself, what are the ditches in this situation? And what can happen in our family situations, and just so we're real clear, you know, the ditches aren't places where we want to be. As a man who's had to clean up some ditches, there's not good stuff in ditches, okay? There's just not. But with our family relationships that are broken, if we don't go through the process of trying to reconcile, and let me just say, it might be that you need to get some people involved in your family relationships. Hey, if your parents, you've got a broken relationship with your parents and they're Christians, it might be you need to arrange a meeting with them and their pastor. But if we don't do that, we're just going to live in a ditch. And the ditch we're going to live in is we're either going to live in the ditch of control where we're just going to try to control everything. And we're just not going to be a very nice person to be around. And you're going to be that kind of person where your kids are going to look at you and say, Mom, why can't you just lighten up? Why can't we just have a good time? Because you're trying to control everything that happens because of the guilt and the broken relationship and the loss, and you just try to control everything. And then, usually controlling people are not the kind of people you want to be around. And that just gets on everybody that's around you. It's just like a bad cologne, you know? You've been somewhere and somebody's got on a bad cologne, you get in the car and you... You smell that? You don't want that on people. But that's what you'll do. You'll try to control everything that goes on in your house because you are so committed to that not happening like it did at your house when you were growing up. And really, it's a myth. It's a myth. It doesn't exist. You're just not that powerful. And it's usually based in a lot of fear. A lot of shame and a lot of guilt. But on the other side, the other ditch of all this is just being completely passive. Believing the lie that, well, if I really love them because I follow Jesus, shouldn't I forgive them and just kind of accept them for who they are? Yes. But we have to get to reconciliation. And reconciliation comes through confessing what is true and seeking forgiveness. But we can get checked out. We can get so passive about this stuff because it's just so burdensome. It's just a big weary situation and we just don't deal with it. We just don't do anything. In both circumstances, the hamster wheel just keeps spinning on and on and on. There is a road we can walk on. I believe it's a healthy road. I believe it is a biblical road. It is a road that trusts in God and His Word. It is a road that is always open to reconciliation. But I also believe... part of that process is this, and I mentioned it at the beginning, that one of the tough things and that can really be a relationship killer are just expectations. And I want to finish this tonight with the broken relationships and thinking this. Sometimes, because people can be painfully consistent, we are going to have to change our expectations of that person. And Hallmark, they always do the right thing. But the real truth is, that person we love, that we would want to have a healthy relationship with, that we would want to be reconciled, you know what? They just might not ever be capable of doing that. And we need to... I, I want to say this this way. We believe we're held to the standard of God's Word. But that person may not ever be able to do that. And I would say that you don't need to keep setting yourself up to be disappointed all. I read something years ago, and I have really kicked it back and forth. Kathy and I were on a Valentine's weekend uh, together. We usually take a weekend off to talk and, you know, do what couples do when the kids aren't around. Set goals. Set goals. Yes, that's it. (laughs) Set goals. (laughs) And, but, and but there was a journal there that said this. It was in a, it was in a, a copy of Discipleship Journal, and it, the author said this that she believed that people are about as happy as they choose to be. Now remember at the beginning, I said, "Don't believe, if I'm not happy, that doesn't mean I'm spiritual. But I do believe that God can bring a healing in your life and trusting in what His Word says to help you do that thing that is hard. When I came to the place of just admitting that some of the people that I wanted to have more relationship with just weren't capable of doing it, I just felt a lot more at peace. And again, it wasn't flipping a switch. It was hard. It was a process. (coughs) But we have got to learn to manage our expectations of people. What they are really, truly possible of doing. Because like I said, we don't want to judge people by their worst examples. Because they're like us too. They have hang ups and sins and they fall short just like we do. These have been a lot of things to think about tonight. And one thing I wish we could have done was talk a little bit more about loss. And um, what I've done on the last sheet of this packet is I put together some resources that deal with a variety of situations, marriage. know, having a stronger marriage, family situations, parent and child situations, reconciliation. And I encourage you that if there's further ways that we as your pastors can serve you, we would love to talk to you and we would love to help you because it might be time for you to talk to somebody about all this stuff. It just might be time to talk to somebody and stop bearing the burden alone. But I know that our pastors have, again, if you need a book recommendation and uh, you know, just looking for something you can read that might be able to help you, um, I would encourage you to do that. One last thing I want to point to. We really just didn't have time to talk about it tonight. I have a set of questions <clears throat> there uh, on page six. And I have found when it comes to relationships and trying to figure out ways to get forward and to think through these things. I've always found these questions to be very helpful to think through an issue with someone. And just quickly, you know, what is the issue or problem? I think too often we kind of have this idea about the way it is, but we've never actually sat down and identified what the real problem is. (coughs) I don't get along with my mom. Well, what's the real problem? Why, you know, what's going on? And identify that. Write it down. And then ask yourself the question, am I open to reconciliation? And if the answer is no, then begin praying. And if you are, begin praying. But then, number three, I think is really important. What do I hope will happen? What do I want to happen? Okay? And that's where you can identify based on what you've learned from the Lord and from His Word and from the good advice and counsel of friends, how to identify what you want to happen and write it down. I'd like to be able to have a meal with my mother and us not argue. Well, that brings you to number four. What would need to happen? Steps or process in order for the answer to number three to occur. But let me be real clear here. If you write down something that the other person's in charge of, you need to change your expectation. Well, what needs to happen, my father needs to apologize. Sorry, you don't have any control over that. You can't do anything about that. You can come to him and let him know why you're upset, or somehow he's just going to know. But remember, if it's dependent on somebody else's action, that, that can't You can't do that. You can only control what you can do and how you can respond. And it always brings us to the last two questions. Can I? Can I do that? Can I do that? You know, I'd like to be able to talk about this problem with my dad. What would need to happen? I'm going to have to set up a time where me and dad can talk about it. I can tell him what upset me and you know, tell him he hurt me. Can I do that? And then the last one, will I? And so I've just found that helpful over the years since I've known about this to kind of help walk through issues and relationships and those kind of things. Um, just the idea of getting it out of your head and onto a piece of paper so you can read it and have a plan. You know? And for a guy who's not much of a planner, this has been really helpful to me. Okay? I'm glad you came tonight. And it, again, I want to say if there's questions that you have, I, I please invite you to, to let us know and if we can help you in any way we want to do that. Uh, take advantage of your small group. But I, I pray that we can begin walking towards some healthier relationships together. Brandon, will you pray for us as we finish up tonight?
1: Lord, you cause to endure suffering as discipline? And uh, knowing that none of us enjoys that, uh, just in the same way that you don't treat lightly with suffering in the Psalms, uh, you know that that suffering as discipline is painful for a time, but when we've endured it, have been formed by it, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, Lord, I pray that as we are uh, submitting our own hearts to you in broken relationships and Difficulty in uh, with Rodney asking that we would be Psalm 1121 kind of people who who praise you and, and are built up by your word. You know, that you would do uh, the work that only you can do on our hearts, uh, so that we can bring uh, light and peace and grace to the broken relationships that we may encounter, uh, and that we can uh, uh, hope. As those who have hope that the the holidays that we face ahead of us without those who we love uh, are numbered, and that there will be a time when we're reunited, and that we uh, see all the pain and the suffering and the division and the challenge uh, put away, and there's just life and grace and love and uh, light, as you yourself will be our light uh, in the, the new heaven and new earth when when all these things our distant memory, and uh, we get to rejoice with you forever. Uh, so, Lord, as we hope in that day, give us the uh, the patience and the peace to work through these days, and uh, keep us in your love uh, as we seek to keep ourselves in your love. In Jesus' name I pray.
0: Amen.